Welcome back to another episode of the Campus Experience. Thought I'd start this one a little bit differently and tell you about something we've done quite recently. Over the weekend, I went through all our impact data and realized we'd worked with 859 student leaders this year. That means they've attended and participated in a workshop for an hour, two, four, or maybe eight hours. Some of these students have gone on to be elected as student union presidents, they've got graduate jobs, they've brought hundreds of new students into their organizations, and those impacts are far-reaching. I hope you enjoyed the episode today, and I can't wait to hear your feedback. Today we're joined by Michael Hester, President of the University of Melbourne Art Student Society. With more than 2,100 members, MASS is the largest student society at the university, and Michael leads a team of 15 committee members with an expenditure of over $300,000 a year. On today's show, we're going to be discussing how Michael and his team approach working in partnership with the Faculty of Arts, how they approach scholarships and innovative approaches to re-engaging alumni, and the importance of health for students. Michael, thanks for taking time out today and welcome to the campus experience. No worries, thanks for having me, Josh. Of course, it's a pleasure to chat to you and you're a little bit of a guinea pig for the new projects that we bring up. Uh, you were one of the first guests when we did a Facebook Live series in our Facebook group with now nearly 400 leaders from across the country. Yeah, it's great to see all this and see it take off and, and be able to learn something myself from, from uh, student management and how to, how to run clubs even better than we do currently. I think a lot of people, and I've had people reach out to me after you were on the Facebook Live saying, yeah, I really got a lot out of some of the events that Michael was talking about that mass runs. With a society so large, I mean, more than 2,000 members and more than $300,000 in expenditure, what are some of the weird or funny or uh, interesting uses of that money? <laughs> yeah, so, so the first thing is it, it, it can be quite daunting when you get a letter from the ATO that you've got to put your GST in and it's over, over 300000 But we spent um, over $6,000 just purely on barbecues to, to feed them the amount of people that come to the event. So that's... A lot of money just in sausages and bread, that's for sure. Wow. And all these, when you're running those barbecues, do you run them, is it like one mega barbecue? Do you scatter them throughout the year? What's your approach? As Yeah, as one of our core events, we do fortnightly barbecues. So every Thursday we'll set up and often we'll have it themed. So we'll do a vegan barbecue or a burger queue or advocating for an event we've got coming up, but just something regular that people know when they come in on a Thursday that they can come and see their friends and have a sausage and a drink. This is great. And this is why I like speaking with you because you so casually give it, give an insight into how you approach things that I think people can take away and do immediately. So for people who listen in clubs or societies or even businesses, like, do you have a weekly or fortnightly Thursday event that's about bringing people together? And not only do you get to bring everyone together and share a meal, which I think is something that's kind of a little bit lost and I was listening to a podcast today that was saying this enormous amount of the working force to actually eat lunch alone. And so this idea of bringing people together is really on top of my mind. But also by those barbecues, you get to advertise your other events. And I know from looking through the Mass Facebook page, you guys run a lot of events. How many events uh, did you host for students and your community this year? So <laughs> a lot. Um each semester we run roughly 20 events. So over over your term, whether that be barbecues or industry nights or social nights, it's probably about over 45. You're a feeding company. You're an event 
company, your marketing company, where do these events start? So if a new student rocks up, they hear about mass, they want to come along, what does that sort of customer journey look like at the very start of the year? Yeah, so mass sort of relies on being not a special interest group, but something accessible to all students, not necessarily even studying arts. So we keep we keep our first events really broad to capture that audience. So we start off with we, we have an arts fest on during orientation week where we take over three or four floors of a building with different activations, um, sort of clickbaity advertising that, that really gets students looking um, to feel uh, included and welcome at university and, and how we can get them on board. And it is it does start with really simple things as a barbecue that, as you said, we use as a springboard. Um, but even just student-to-student student connections, there's nothing more that a student loves than hearing about your struggles or how you found it out from a student rather than just through through the university. I think the word-of-mouth advertising is always the strongest. And once we know from working with lots of clubs, once you've got students coming in the door, especially from the early years, it's so easy then to provide them with all the services that maybe they don't even know that they need. How do you first get a student's attention if it is in O-Week and maybe it's their first time um, at Melbourne University, maybe they're from overseas and they're completely overwhelmed by everything that's going on or they've you know been to Melbourne University a dozen times, they're still completely overwhelmed because it's, it's O-Week and it's crazy. How do you get someone's attention and get them to come along um, to that arts fest. Absolutely. So we start before orientation. We, we, have, we have about 40 leaders who we have as our sort of ground staff for the week. And we run a workshop on essentially how to market mass. And in that, we mainly focus on the fact that students love if you can just add value to their experience rather than trying to sell a product straight away. So if we can meet a student um, and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with them and welcome them and say, when you're interested or if you'd like to follow this, here's the things that are available. Um, as you said, it's, it's all just person-to-person -person connections that make people feel included that seems to be most effective for clubs. And how are you able to add that value straight off the bat? What we do best is sort of demystify university as a, as a first thing. So sort of if they've received all of these sort of welcome materials from the university, you haven't really met or engaged with all sort of the pe people or the culture. So the best thing is just being able to understand really what university's life, whether that be socially or academically, um, just having a more grassroots understanding of what, what your next four years of university is going to be like. So if you've got on one side 40 leaders out there engaging students, learning about how to market mass. On the flip side of that, lots has to go on in the background to actually make these events work. And a theme that I really want to dig into with you today, because I, from what I've heard from you and the previous conversations we've had, a lot of the strength behind mass is a really strong tie to the Faculty of Arts and then springboards that come off that, including scholarships and health and alumni connections. So if on one side of things, and in other podcasts, we've talked about uh, engaging students in O-Week, and those will be coming out in the next few weeks on the podcast. But for you, how do you build the relationship with the faculty so that once the students are in and they're starting to enjoy themselves, you've got 
all the right moving pieces behind the scenes. Regardless of what people are studying, it's a huge resource that clubs can tap into. And sort of my path in taking mass along that line is that we sort of discovered in our first few weeks that there's no sort of connection with a faculty that has to be inherited and that you can change and discover new opportunities just by meeting face-to-face with them. So what we do with the different um, faculty teams, whether that be marketing, whether that be engagement, academic programs, is we sort of ask what are the goals the faculty is looking for? Are they trying to activate a new building? Are they trying to engage with students along this platform? And then look at what we're trying to provide. And somewhere in that middle ground is an event or a program that we can run and then work along together and use their resources and likewise they can use ours. And what sort of goals are the faculty working towards? I think a lot of the time it's that there's a lot of initiatives being run that sort of oversaturating students with different opportunities, but they definitely lack that sort of person-to-person contact and, and making things personable in that it's, it's much harder to get a student to engage through a website link or a Facebook post through the university than it is from a student club where people know each other. So most of the time, what they're looking for from us is that we can find a way, whether that be it at one of our barbecues or one of our events, to work collaboratively on a program because then it's seen through the eyes of the club rather than just the university itself. And what happens when you're reaching out to faculty and something we've heard from clubs around the country is sometimes they do reach out to faculty and it doesn't they don't always get a warm reception. They feel like maybe they're not taken seriously or that the faculty, as you say, has so much going on that even though students know that it's great to hear it from other students, that they don't want to add even more to the plate of the faculty. What do you think some of the key attributes are of engaging with faculty in a really effective way so that all the voices are heard and you can get that win-win? So the first thing would be to start small. And, and not to leap towards your end goal, which might be a certain program. In terms of our case, it began with a simple barbecue where we partnered up um, with a scholarship fund for the university. And we used that as a springboard into future events because at the time there wasn't, there wasn't a good reception and our ideas weren't being um, seen in a good light. So we, we started really small on one event and then used that to sort of spark a change within the faculty. That's very cool. Tell me more about the scholarship. What what scholarships did the faculty offer and how did you guys get involved there? An accessibility scholarship called Faculty 110. And it's provided to students basically to make the Bachelor of Arts a course that anyone and everybody um, has access to study to. And what we saw was that the faculty was concerned that because scholarships don't have a sort of social face to them, that they're just links on a website, that the, the idea and the awareness of it was being lost with students. So what we decided was that we'd approach the faculty marketing team um, for a collaboration on our merchandise. So obviously at the time we were already selling T-shirts with our logos and different hoodies and things. And we thought, how about we put the scholarship logo 
on a design made by the students and sell it at one of our barbecues and then split the profits half into the scholarship fund and half into mass and then work from there. And what actually happened was was quite exciting in that staff were surprised how innovative the program was. There hadn't been a, a collaboration between a club and the faculty in a financial sense before. And it really took off. It was put in the, the staff publication articulation. Um, and different members of Chancellery came to the event and were, were actually quite um, taken aback by it. And what we thought was a very, very simple thing in selling merchandise came across really well on the faculty side. And then we springboarded into future events from there. To underscore a really important point there on a couple of fronts, one, students are innovative. And we know that students and staff listen to the podcast. So I think that's important for both of them to be able to call out. Secondly, you're talking about art students. And I know that you are doing politics and international studies with some economics. And you have a bit of that commerce economics blood running through you. But the idea that a really great business idea can come from the arts faculty shouldn't surprise anybody. And we know in the entrepreneurial world that the best teams are made up of engineers and business-minded people and creatives all thrown in together. So I think this is just such a testament to the idea of you're essentially trying to raise money and the faculty's raising money for equity scholarships and that you can go to a really creative group of people like the like Mass with a problem essentially that you're trying to raise money for this and that they can come up with a solution that surprises and delights everybody. Interesting that it was the first time that there was a collaboration on a financial project. How did your team go about promoting the t-shirts and selling them at the barbecues? I know you said you put the logos on there. What was the approach to actually selling the t-shirts? Was it, were you saying, you know, for every t-shirt you buy, $10 goes towards this cause? Was it just put on there and you marketed that they're just cool t-shirts and people should buy them because they look awesome? How did your team go about that? We started really early on sort of increasing the awareness for their campaign. It started off with we got our own students to create mood boards, which would be used in sort of consultation about what the T-shirts would look like. And so just in our Facebook page, people were already seeing that there's this new project coming, which sort of captured the awareness of it. Sorry to jump in. You're gonna, going to have to explain that one to me. What is a mood board? So a mood board essentially it asks two basic questions for these t-shirts it says what do students especially the art students what do you like to wear to uni and what would you think would be appealing to wear and you sort of cut out different photos off the internet and pop them on a board then on the other side we had what sort of charity logos do you think are received well by students and from there the marketing team and faculty looked at them all as a whole and said these are the recurring designs and things that turn up and from there they make draft t-shirt designs to send back to us to see how students perceive them that's cool and what was the format for doing that is that a physical board pinned up somewhere is that a facebook group or a, a pinterest or a feature on facebook how do you actually collect that data no, absolutely it was it was it was all physical so we had we had our a1 posters that in our um, common room and we had our members come in take them home um, physically print them out and then um, in the faculty offices we pinned them up all on a big wall and, and sort of stood back and had a look and said what's recurring here 
Very cool. I like that idea. I really like the customer research too of rather than, hey, we're going to print a thousand t-shirts and then cross our fingers and hope you buy them, we'll actually go and ask you what you want before we do so. That Absolutely. Sounds, that sounds like a real win-win in terms of the scholarship. What are some of the outcomes of that? How many t-shirts did you sell? How much money went towards the scholarship fund? So the final t-shirts were printed in late September. So we only had about four weeks of the semester left, but we sold them at our just one of our bar- barbecues. We, we lucked in with a brilliant weather day and we had about 500 people come and sold close to, I think it was 80 t-shirts in the end, which for the first day, um, considering a lot of students hadn't seen them in person, was a great start. And so from there, we're, we're going to list them on our, on our Facebook page as, as regular merchandise. Very cool. It's like a very quick validation of your product as well to be able to say, hey, we sold 80 T-shirts in a day. I'm sure there's lots of uh, T-shirt entrepreneurs out there on the internet who've never sold 80 T-shirts and spent a lot more money sourcing it. For mass in general, if it's working with the faculty in a way that helps them to raise money and sell T-shirts and obviously you're adding a, a cool product into the market, how else did mass benefit from this relationship with the faculty. And I'd imagine putting money in towards a scholarship definitely gets you in their good books. How did that benefit um, you guys in the other events and services that you offer? It probably benefited us in two ways. The first would have been financially. So we were able to approach the same team afterwards and say, our next idea is in O-Week. We give out 2,000 show bags and normally they've been yellow plastic bags. And Mass wants to move into being sort of more environmentally friendly. How about we work again to design a tote bag between the faculty and between Mass, which enabled us to, to sort of make that happen in terms of funding, um, but also to be able to use that same process and use the use the same printing designs that the faculty have that we wouldn't normally have access to. And then the second thing was something more in in sort of the soft um, partnership in that we were able to meet those same people in a different context and and approach them with new ideas. So whether that be linking into um, some of the people that came to the barbecue who were staff and the alumni for Faculty of Arts. So we were able to approach them for speakers for our events or um, past students who can come and be on a panel for something. And it really just became a breaking the ice event that we could use in the future and we'll continue to work with them. You've clearly proved yourself and the team's commitment. I love the spin-off into how this can help in an environmentally friendly way as well. It's something that you would not necessarily see as an obvious connection or outcome from selling a whole bunch of really cool T-shirts to help with scholarships. But again, another one of these win-win situations because you've built that relationship and built the trust. Another initiative that I've heard about within Mass is around an increased focus on health and awareness and opening up those conversations. What's the role that you and your team have taken in that space? We looked into terms of where's the um, the disconnect at the moment. And what I mean by that is we understand that mental health issues are prevalent within the university environment, but accessing resources and support isn't necessarily easy to find. And so what we've followed up on was engaging with the health promotions team. They'd sort of started a new initiative 
of student ambassadors in mental health in 2018. And we're looking to expand it for next year. And we sort of said, why don't we start with some really basic, simple things that we can do, just like we did with the T-shirts, is a startup idea that we can use to springboard. And so we sort of said, let's, over this coming break, organise to film some promotion videos of students speaking about their own experience, which is something very personable um, and easy to connect with, um, both online and in person. And we're going to use those videos during our orientation next year um, and also just sort of as evergreen content on our Facebook page that there are things available within the university wellbeing space. It's not surprising, having continued to do these podcasts now and speaking to more student leaders, that again, mental health is coming up and it's great to see the unis really taking steps forward um, to counteract that. I was speaking the other day to Phoebe Ho from the University of Western Australia and she did a TED talk about her lived experience through mental health and she was sharing her story and then how she goes out and shares her story with students at schools as well as university and the power of that storytelling. What do you think the role of student societies is or the potential of student societies to literally bring that conversation to the top of the news feed. How do you think in a perfect world, if every student society was playing a part in talking about mental health and bringing these issues up, how could societies get more involved in that conversation? Yeah, I think clubs and societies are privileged to be at all, sort of the epicenter of all these different spheres in our lives. So at university, people will, will be working, they'll be studying, they'll have their social lives. And for many of us, we live really close. So there's just this amalgamation of all our different private and social lives and clubs are right at the centre of it. So we have this ability to share and promote ideas that will have a great sort of organic uptake. And whether that be a simple promotion online or a club event, we can reach a lot of people in a short amount of time with a really big impact in a way that a university alone or a wellbeing resource online can't do on its own. One of the events that I saw as I was scrolling down through your Facebook page and just reviewing the kind of events that Mass hosts was one of your weekly barbecues, but I noticed it was called the Are You OK Day barbecue. And I clicked on it and I thought, isn't this ingenious? You've put Are You OK, which is a conversation, an organisation that promotes the conversation around reaching out to peers and friends and co-workers and simply asking that question. But the fact that you title an event with Are You OK, you put their logo smack bang in the middle of the cover photo and then hosted an event that you probably were going to host anyway, but were able to bring in a not-for-profit and have that conversation there, I thought was a really clever, again, win-win situation. What was the thinking behind doing that barbecue and making it an Are You OK Day event? The Are You OK Day barbecues was another case of sort of lots of different stakeholders looking to achieve the same outcome. For a couple of years, Are You OK had run their own activities on campus that were separate from the clubs. And we sort of saw a possibility for us to 
supersize the event and create our own um, Are You OK Day activation on that day. And what it meant was that we could have our regular event and seamlessly put in the Are You OK Day agenda um, without people being too complicitly aware of it. Because often you can you can promote a new not-for-profit on its own and it might have a great enough uptake than it would be if it was within your core event. So the club has an event on every two weeks and it happens that that one week there's an Are You OK Day. There's a great potential for people to sort of engage with it more than they would necessarily on its own. A really common theme that seems to be coming out here is your ability and your team's ability and maybe it's inherited culture within mass as well to collaborate and find these overlaps whether it's an are you okay day are you okay day barbecue with the science society whether it's bringing in not-for-profits like are you okay day are you okay to work with you or the faculty something i'm really interested in is i've seen examples of culture really building and playing on really strong legacy and also within clubs and societies around the country, I've seen examples where one or two years there won't be as strong of a leadership team and that can kind of fall apart. When we had our first conversation, you were telling me a little bit about the work you started doing just over a year ago now to figure out right when the culture of mass started. So can you tell me a little bit about that journey? Yeah, it's, it's it absolutely is a journey. It spent we spent once I engaged with Mass eighteen months ago. We wanted to look back through the history books and find out when Mass started, um, mainly because we needed more resources to know had this been done before. Was there someone that could help us with an event like this? So we started going back through people who had been on committee. That's sort of old records. Um, general meeting documents um, and put compiled together this one database which we've now got for the last 20 years so we eventually found first president um, who was great showing us some old photos and ideas and it really gave us validation that what we were doing was was something that had continued for a long time and as you said where there might not have been support for something two or three years ago depending on who's around it's a, still a continuing theme over the 20 years. And so what we're doing now is we're setting up a alumni email base, providing them with information about our events and connecting them to sort of this environment that we all have some emotional attachment to. And that's the common theme that we found, that people are winning, willing to help us out, even if they left the university walls 10, 15 years ago which is something really uplifting um, and sort of inspiring for students currently at university. Isn't that, isn't that uplifting and special and something when students are given a fidget spinner in O-Week to try to get them to come along um, to the arts fair or something like that, they may have no idea, and I, how would they, know that they're becoming part of an institution and a community and a living culture that, they could very well still feel connected to 20 or 30 years later. When you reached out to some of these alumni, were any really surprised to hear from you? Were any like, you know, internet billionaires that you stumbled upon? Where, where did these alumni end up and what are they doing now? Oh, they're all, they're all over the place. Um, 
probably two two that come to mind straight away was we were looking for journalist speakers for one of our writing industry nights and we sent out a, a huge number of emails and we got one back from penguin random house the biggest publisher in australia and the senior editor said i'd love to come along i remember the days when i was in mass and that just caught us completely off guard and she ended up coming along and having a great a great night and reconnecting with us the second is probably the first president so after 12 months of searching um, we found in an old email that the first president was the current leader of the Greens Party, Samantha Ratnam. And we sat down at coffee at university and she unraveled her experience from 20 years ago that had this uncanny parallel to what we're doing now. And the fact that you can, as you said, have an institution that continues to build a culture for students in the arts faculty just gave so much validation to what the committee was doing, to what students get involved in and made it people want to push to do new events and 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 have faith in mass that is so cool what was the weird and uncanny part of what she was struggling with back then and what she was working towards and what you're working towards now <laughs> it's it's from small things such as we we always have run an arts camp to welcome in new students and she had her stories of, we play a game called Assassins, which is basically everyone at the start of the camp gets a name of another camper and you've got to get alone with them to kill them. And the last person standing at the end is the winner. Really simple game. But and just that's something we thought we created two years ago that has been running for 20 years. Um, and just this, to clarify, Assassins, when you say you have to get them alone and kill them, this is a metaphorical killing them. It's like a... Touch on the shoulder or bang <laughs> your dead sort of thing. So no one needs to go out and say, "Hey, we listened to this podcast and came up with this crazy idea." <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I actually, it's funny, and not to now your bubble's been burst. I can share the story. We played that game when I was back at residential college in 2010. I started, uh, so eight years ago, and it was the exact same thing. You got given someone else's name, and I remember just being devastated because I thought I'd built this really strong friendship in like a day and a half. You know, I've come to uni. I didn't know anyone. All of a sudden, this person's really chummy with me. I'm like, yes, we're best friends. They're like, yeah, let's just, let's go, let's go for a walk together. Let's just chat about how we're feeling. And I'm like, yes, on an emotional level, I'm killing this friendship thing. And the second we got along, it was like, bang, you're dead. I had you for assassins. I was shattered. <laughs> When you're speaking to alumni who've previously been involved and hear about all the amazing things you're doing now, have any of them reached out and offered to help in weird or peculiar ways or really just ways that you really, really needed? The simplest thing that they've helped us with is just showing our current members and past members that they're still interested. And so we, we set up sort of a first alumni gathering where we brought together as many people from the last 10 years we had and simply their their engagement in our Facebook page and posting photos of their time and showing that they still had a connection was empowering for everyone else so it might not seem like a lot but having that alumni who is still engaged was the simplest and the greatest way to kick it off. Michael I'm really appreciative of your time and your insights. 
someone who's running an intimidatingly large organization on top of managing your studies and full-time work or everything else. One thing I wanted to ask about before I let you go is I saw that quite recently, and we haven't had a conversation about this, but I was doing my little LinkedIn stalking beforehand. I saw that you've recently been elected one of eight presidents to oversee the management of the University of Melbourne Student Union Clubs and Societies Department. How did that come about and what's the story there? So the clubs committee is the student-elected body that sort of oversees the grants for clubs, that oversees the running of orientation events and and making sure that the clubs and society culture remains so good at, at University of Melbourne. My journey there was really started once Mass started collaborating with other clubs. So something we really work on is is understanding that we're all students and we're all trying to engage and have a great time. There's no reason why clubs have to stand alone. And so from there, you sort of meet people from different networks um, and realise that it's all one big movement of students. And so from there, um, I was elected onto the clubs committee that now gets to work with, I think we've got 280 different clubs listed currently. Given that it's a big few months ahead leading up to the Christmas break, but also knowing that you've got O-Week in the new year and your leaders camp and everything else that you're doing, what are your priorities for the next few months? And how do you think about re-energizing yourself or taking care of yourself leading into a big year? So the biggest thing for me, I think, is is going back to what initially got me into clubs in the first place, and that's and that's having a group of peers that... I can engage with and connect. And so making sure over the break that I'm not just working on spreadsheets and booking places and different events and that I am working with my team and making sure that they're just just as engaged and excited as you are. So while there's a lot to do, my biggest priority is making sure that everyone has a break from university firstly and is looking after themselves and having a good time because you can't run a club unless you've got members that enjoy being around. I definitely, definitely agree with that. I think what's subtle there in your message is that there's definitely a caring for your team, first and foremost, as well as caring for yourself and then the students you serve. And if your team's feeling good and everyone's healthy within that environment, you're able to best serve the communities that you want to. Michael, for 2019 and beyond, if people are listening to the podcast and they're keen to check out the work that Mass is doing or the work that you're doing, where's the best place to find out more? So two things. Firstly, just our Facebook page. You can just type in Melbourne Arts Student Society and then connect with us through a message or just or just have a scroll through the feed there. Or you can have a look at all of our alumni database and different faculty things we've done at our website, which is mass.org. And I'll put the links to the Facebook page. Uh, I'll link in that event we were talking about with the Are You OK Day as well, and also your website into the show notes. So if anyone's eager, they can scroll through there and click through to everything. Thank you so much for your time. And I really appreciate the insights. What I hope people got out of this conversation was that collaborating with the faculty and really investing in your team and your relationships with externals, whether that's alumni within the university, your team members, or your students by getting them in early. This is a game of relationships and there's lots of different ways to build effective relationships. I think what you've modeled so clearly here is this idea of looking for win-wins, seeking first to 
understand how others are thinking and what goals they have and what they're prioritizing and then being really empathetic and trying to find a situation where you can help them achieve that and in turn you will achieve what you want and I think when you look at the mass Facebook page and the 10,000 plus likes or you look at the events and the hundreds of people who come I think it's a real testament to the work of almost 20 years of or 20 years this year of alumni but also a really strong current leadership team. So hats off to you and a testament to your team. And I wish you all the best for the rest of 2018 and 2019. Wonderful. Thank you, Josh. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for coming on. As Michael says, what we do best is demystify university. One of my goals with this podcast is to help demystify the role of leaders and entrepreneurs in the university space. So I really hope you got a lot out of this episode and I loved talking to Michael, such a good guy and leading an awesome society. If you want to know more about what we do at Campus Consultancy, please check out the website www.campusconsultancy.org and we've recently, just today, published a new article about a student that we worked with who went on to become the student union president at his university. So jump on, check that out, find out all about us. If you want to stay updated, you can follow us on Facebook, on LinkedIn, just type in Campus Consultancy. And if you'd like to speak to me, you can reach out directly on LinkedIn. Type in Josh Farr, F for Fred, A-double-R. I'll pop straight up. If you have some feedback, if you'd like to be a guest, or you know somebody who you think has a story really worth sharing, please introduce them to me. I look forward to seeing you again. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with someone else who might get as much value out of it as you have. Thank you very much.